First off, I will always consider myself a Newfoundlander. I am proud of my cultural heritage. After all, it was the inspiration for this podcast, and I absolutely love telling all of you stories from my province and from everywhere else from my Newfoundlander's point of view. That said, I have lived and worked in the great state of New Jersey since the turn of the century, and I must admit that it is a close second amongst my favorite places to live. I did not know how a proper tomato or ear of sweet corn was supposed to taste until I started living here. I've gotten used to not being allowed to pump my own gas, to hearing the divisive debate over whether a particular meat product is called Taylor ham or pork roll, and to defending the fact that yes, Central Jersey does exist. But probably the best thing about New Jersey is the stories. In this episode, we are excited to bring you a couple of doozies from the Garden State that Newfoundlanders like Barry and me would describe as some weird. Welcome to the Some Weird Podcast, a podcast about strange and unusual stories told by us, a sister and brother team hailing from the island of Newfoundland. I am your co-host, Chrissy. And I am your co-host, Barry. In this episode, we're going to go south of the border, for me at least, to tell a couple of weird stories from my sister's adopted hometown of New Jersey. And that's a state, not a town. Yeah. <laughs> so first, I'm going to tell you all about arguably the most well-known pieces of folklore from New Jersey, the New Jersey Devil. I'm going to tell you about an unsolved murder from the satanic panic era of the 1970s that many people think had occult ties. So let's get it on a go. Okay. New Jersey is a very diverse state, even though it is relatively small in terms of area. Population is pretty high. It's about 9 million people. And it is the most densely populated state, which I didn't realize because it's not that densely populated where I am. It seems like people from New Jersey are very proud to say they're from New Jersey. Like the Bruce Springsteen's, the Kevin Smith's and all that. That tired of Newfoundland, I guess, where you get that pride to being where you're from. Interesting you should say that because my husband was born and bred in New Jersey. He actually grew up not more than five miles from where we currently live. And I told him we were doing an episode on New Jersey. And I'm like, what would you like to say about your home and your estate? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> he had nothing. <laughs> nice. But anyway, when New Jersey crosses the mind of non-New Jerseyans, I think of a few prominent pop culture references, which you probably also think of. So, for instance, The Sopranos. They're up there in Newark with their organized crime, and in the intro, they're driving down the Jersey Turnpike. Some people might think of the Jim Tan Laundry crowd from the Jersey Shore, who none of them were actually from New Jersey, but Jersey Shore. Casinos of Atlantic City. I don't think you've ever been to Atlantic City, right? No, I never have. There's been several times when I've been near a place where we're going to venture that way, but we never did for various reasons. People who say Joyzy instead of Jersey. I've never heard anyone say anything close to that, but non-New Jerseyans think that people from New Jersey do have that accent. So all of those things are kind of parts that make up the whole of the perception of New Jersey, but that's just surface stuff. You know, that's like the cartoony parts of it sort of thing. Like all of North America, New Jersey was populated for thousands of years, long before any Europeans sailed the ocean blue. No one showed up here and found a nice big old empty fertile land ripe for the settling. Indigenous people, they were already here and they were living their best lives. In terms of American history, it's one of the original colonies. It's the second state to enter the Union. 
And it's the very place where General George Washington crossed the Delaware River whilst fighting for American independence. Now, that happened probably two miles from my house. (laughs) Really? Yes. And in terms of folklore, it's the home of the most well-known fantastical creature who lends its name to a professional hockey team. (laughs) Of course, this is the New Jersey Devil. The story of the New Jersey Devil has its origins way back in 1735 in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Oh, there we go. Pine Barrens is not just a place for the Sopranos to bury the bodies. It's actually a huge area, about 1.1 million acres. That's about 22% of the entire state of New Jersey of protected land that has some great ecological importance. As the story goes, back in 1735, a Pine Barrens dwelling lady by the name of Jane Leeds, a.k.a. Mother Leeds, was distraught to learn that she was pregnant for the 13th time. I would also be... (laughs) Must be Catholic. No, she was Quaker, actually. Okay. So uh, not Catholic at all, but probably fewer choices of birth control back in 1735. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. So whether she had previously discussed with her never named husband that her kid limit was a dozen, or if she suffered from triskaidekaphobia is unknown, but she was not pleased with the thought of bearing the 13th child. And she was believed to have said, I don't know who recorded this, let this one be the devil. So for our listeners, not for me, because I know what it is, you explain what Trisodopiophia is? <laughs> uh, Triskaidekaphobia is fear of the number 13. Oh, okay. So uh, she may have had that, and maybe she didn't. Maybe she's just tired of all these youngsters. Who the hell knows? But whatever lines were open to whatever entity with the authority to grant such a request was bell clear, because on a dark and stormy night, Mother Leeds gave birth to her 13th child. At first, the baby boy entered the world in much the same way as his 12 siblings, but the relief of birthing this normal human child was short-lived. Within moments, he morphed into a horribly grotesque chimera with the head of a horse, wings of a bat, and a pointy devil tail. Within moments? Within moments. Like, the baby was out. The placenta on him and everything? Before the afterbirth even come out, he was morphing (laughs) into a thing. Nice. Yep. His stature was like that of a kangaroo because he stood up on two hind legs, but the legs ended in cloven hooves instead of paws or human feet. And to top it all off, two great curled horns sprouted from his head. That must be quite the uh, delivery scene. I mean, no delivery is pretty. I don't like miracle of birth. Fuck that shit. Like I've had three miracles of birth and they all look like a murder scene. Yeah, it's not as uh, (laughs) beautiful as they say it is. Truly, this was a breathtaking baby in the Seinfeld use of this idiom. Not only did this poor baby creature morph shortly after its birth, but it was also full-sized and full-strength. In the legendary tale, it beat all hands present at the birth with its pointy (laughs) tail, and then, like some kind of anti-Santa, it flew straight out the chimney. To harken back to our first ever episode, The Bell Island Boom, I imagine that someone present must have looked at the goings-on with amazement and exclaimed, what in the Jesus is happening here? <laughs> After the New Jersey Devil flew out the chimney, we have no concrete information about Mother Leeds, the other 12 children, the mysterious unnamed father, or any of the people who are pummeled about the head and face by a supernatural monster baby. One version of the story says that the Jersey Devil killed its parents, the midwife, and at least some of its siblings. But who knows? 
Some folklorists and historians like Brian Regal of Keene University here in New Jersey believe that the character of Mother Leeds was probably a composite of multiple people living in that area at the time, and that the story sprang forth like the issue of a South Jersey witch in response to a difference between rival religious denominations. That seems like a more likely story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the other one seems pretty likely. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there. I'm just saying. So it was kind of like that crowd is a bunch of heathens and monsters unlike us bunch of God-fearing folk. Something like yeah. that. So this rhymes across many places and times. Like we've talked about it in Newfoundland many times, Catholics versus Protestants and all that sort of stuff. But nevertheless, this story has been around since the early 1700s and it still permeates New Jersey culture today. So before I go to my next little section here, do you now have a nice clear picture in your head of what the New Jersey devil looks like? Yeah, kind of. He's got a horse head. He got some horns, bat wings. He got all kinds the of hose, shit going on. Placenta all over him. <laughs> Flew over at the chimney. Knocked Santa Claus on the way out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if it was around Christmas or not. But okay, yeah, that's the Jersey devil. So she said, let this one be the devil. And okay, here we go. It's the devil. Can you imagine if you could custom make your baby, like just say a sentence out loud and that's what you get? Yeah, that wouldn't be the one I'd go with if I had that power. No, but could you imagine if you could have said, let this child sleep through the night at one week old? <laughs> exactly, yeah. That would have been awesome. Maybe it only does the bad stuff. So over the years, there have been multiple reports of sightings of the Jersey Devil. That was the first one. Hard to top that. <laughs> uh, some notable sightings are U.S. Naval Officer Commodore Stephen Decatur. He reported seeing some weird winged beast that was definitely not a bird flying above his cannonball mill. I don't know what year it was. Is Cannonball Mill? Cannonball Mill. What's that? It's a place where you make cannonballs. <laughs> it's like a sawmill, but for cannonballs, okay. Pretty much, yeah. So he died in 1820, so it was sometime before then. So this is a long-ass time ago. His immediate thought was, I don't know what that thing is. I think I'll shoot it with a cannonball. So he did, but it was not successful in bringing it down. Strange object with wings. It could be a plane or bird or whatever. Oh, it wouldn't be a plane in 1820, I guess. No, that would be a whole other kind of story. Yeah, the first thing is, is to shoot a cannonball at it. Okay, it makes yeah. sense. The story was that the cannonball actually went right through the Jersey Devil and had no effect because creepy oh. supernatural. Yeah. I am no military historian, but my guess is that in the time it took him to prep the cannon, load the cannonball, add the gunpowder, light the fuse, the poor friggin' thing was just long gone, whatever yeah, it was. True. Another prominent person who said that they saw the Jersey Devil was Joseph Bonaparte, brother of the much better known Napoleon Bonaparte. The French Conqueror guy? Yeah. He saw it in a hunting trip in Bordentown, New Jersey, which is the town just south of us. You have yeah. been there many times. Yes, I have. No word on whether he tried to murder it with a cannonball. He just said he saw it. Another prominent sighting of the Jersey Devil is me, your co-host Chrissy, and my husband, no. Mr. Chrissy. We see the Jersey Devil all the time. So to clarify, this is what he and I call normal white-tailed deer. Because, oh, okay. <laughs> because many years ago, we were watching this paranormal investigation. And uh, the crew were roaming around the dark of the Pine Barrens with the night vision goggles looking for the Jersey Devil. And they're like, oh, my God, there it is. And it was just a deer. So Those shows are so stupid. We talked about this before. There's a lot to do about nothing in those shows. They'll be a half oh, hour is, long. Yeah two minutes of grainy video but like this one was you know what night vision looks like right yeah it was a deer so i count that as me being a witness to the jersey devil because i see deer everywhere and that's exactly what they saw <laughs> okay 
So these are all super believable sightings. But for almost the first 200 years, it really wasn't more than just a story to scare people or to blame some unfortunate events like livestock dying or like bad harvest, like the normal stuff, right? They'd blame it on the Jersey Devil. But this all changed over one week in January of 1909. The 1909 Jersey Devil panic all started when mysterious hoof prints started appearing in the snow in unusual places. So surely in 1909, hoof prints wouldn't be that unusual, right? After all, a lot of people were probably still using horses for various and sundry things. But these couldn't be made by your old gray mare or even a deer. These prints were found in people's yards. That's not so strange. Deer will go in your yard. Under fences. Okay, maybe it was a really short deer. They were even found on rooftops. So that was really the one that caught people's attention. Was it Christmas time, though? This was January. It wasn't a reindeer. The roof hoofs could not have been explained by Santa's reindeer. Okay. All right. So, but what could possibly explain hoof marks on a roof? Well, people started to suggest the possibility that the story of the Jersey Devil was more than just a tale. After all, it has bat wings, could easily have been flown up on people's roofs and left some hoof prints up there in the snow. Yep. And it wasn't even just in the rural communities of South Jersey. There was even sightings in and around the cities of Philadelphia and Camden. A panic and hysteria soon took hold. So what if the Jersey Devil did return after all these years? Many parents in South Jersey and Philly actually kept their kids home from school, just in case. And even some area mill workers refused to leave their homes, just in case they had to stay home and protect their homesteads from this unholy creature. Then the eyewitnesses started to come out, and all of this was written in the papers. The Jersey Devil reportedly attacked a group at a certain social club in Camden, New Jersey, late one evening. It attacked trolleys full of passengers in both Haddon Heights and Burlington, New Jersey. Firefighters reportedly tried to use their high-pressure fire hoses to get it off a roof in West Collingswood, but it just flew away. Some poor old lady caught the beast trying to make away with her dog. Again, this was in Camden, but luckily she was able to whack it with a broomstick and it took off without her dog. (laughs) And all of these things were reported over this crazy nutballs week in 1909. People were all in on this. You know, panics take hold of people. And like, I'm sure most people were like... The Jersey Devil is not actually stealing some lady's dog, but also what's happening. Like people yeah. get a panic and the area almost gets electric sometimes. But as all things do, this hysteria of the weird winter week soon waned and things kind of went back to normal and the papers turned their attention to some non-devil-centric stories. But this wasn't the last of the Jersey Devil sightings by far. There's countless modern day stories of people witnessing the devil itself. Usually the stories go something like this. I was a skeptic until I saw it myself. I was driving slash hiking slash camping by myself in the Pine Barrens when I saw this huge creature that looked like a bipedal horse slash deer with bat wings and horns. I either tried to hit it with a cannonball, water hose, stick, or bullet, (laughs) or I took off as fast as I could. I believe the creature that I saw was the New Jersey Devil. So basically... Insert New Jersey Devil, take that out and put in Bigfoot or put in the fairies or put in Loch Ness Monster, whatever. Yes. I've read countless stories of people's eyewitness accounts, and that's every story combined into one. (laughs) As the years pass, the perception of the Jersey Devil has kind of transformed from the most evil abomination who probably murdered its parents moments after its birth to its beloved namesake of the NHL's New Jersey Devils. There's still tons of sightings, and there's still people who have a genuine fear of the beast 
kind of like the fairies. If you think about it in Newfoundland, you don't believe yeah. in it, but just in case you want to be a little bit of a healthy fear. But its main deal is being a piece of the cultural identity of New Jersey, whose image can be found in souvenir t-shirts and coffee cups for your consuming pleasure. And <laughs> that's the story of the New Jersey Devil. And I got a lot of this information from Weird New Jersey. Um, they do a periodical. I think it's three or four times a year they publish a magazine of all the different strange things in New Jersey, and I freaking love it. But I got a lot of this Jersey Devil information from their website, weirdnewjersey.com, and a lot of just South Jersey community websites. A lot of them had, here's the story of the Jersey Devil. That website really sounds like it's up your alley. <laughs> yes. I was buying Weird New Jersey, the periodical, way before podcasts were even a thing because I was yeah. like, oh, this is so cool. Now that's it. That's the Jersey Devil. So do you feel like you are now well acquainted, enlightened? Yes. Well, like you said, when you first brought it up, I thought it was a hockey team and nothing more. And you were shocked to hear that I didn't know this story. So uh, it's good to get the, the blanks filled in and know that the New Jersey Devil is more just a lovable hockey team. Yeah. Obviously, they're named the Jersey Devils because of the New Jersey Devil. But the fans voted on the name when the team okay. uh, came here. For, I don't know. It, I mean, Colorado. Oh, see, you know all that kind of stuff. They move around, whatever shit like that. But yeah, they put a two vote, and that was the one that won, New Jersey Devils. Okay. Funny you bring up, not funny, I guess, but you brought up Weird New Jersey. That's actually a source of, for my uh, story as well. Mm-hmm. It's the murder of a person by the name of Jeanette De Palma. So we're both dog owners. Uh, you have John Cena, bow, 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 or <laughs> Harper, technically. And I have Baz the Wonder Dog. So, has your dog ever brought you something he wants to play with? Like he wants to, you know, throw a ball around. You bring the ball and put it on your feet, and you got to throw it. And oh yeah, or a toy, and you, and you know, he wants you to play with the toy. But when you try to take it from him, he won't let you take it. Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know why he brings it to you, and he won't let you take it to throw it. Anyway. <laughs> so, what would you do if your dog brought you a piece of rotting flesh to play with, <laughs> or a severed arm? I have questions. Yeah. A severed arm. Well, I mean, John Cena's a wiener dog. I don't know if she would be able to carry an entire arm. <laughs> yeah. But like, let's say she brought me a finger. I guess I would be horrified. Yeah. <laughs> I would do whatever I could to take it from her. Yeah, it would be uh, less than ideal. I wouldn't try to take that. I'd let him keep it. But this was the case <laughs> back in this was the case back in 1972 when a man's dog led authorities to solve a missing persons case. Okay. Um, the circumstances around a disappearance and what happened are still debated today, and it's everything from satanic panic, witchcraft, murder, and scorn and love as possible explanations. So this is the story of the disappearance and possible murder of Jeanette De Palma. Oh, possible murder. Okay. So Jeanette De Palma was born on August 3rd, 1956. Uh, she lived in an upper middle class household in the township of Springfield, New Jersey, home, of course, of the Simpsons. <laughs> what would you define upper middle class as? I mean, if you're not living in a cardboard box, I suppose. So back then, it was probably you had a four-bedroom house and two cars. Okay. Not sure. I don't know between upper, lower, middle class. Basically, there's the rich, just the poor, and the middle class. And the middle class is like most people. So she was also raised in a devout Christian household and had a very strict religious upbringing. Four days after her 16th birthday, uh, Jeanette disappeared. So there's a little bit of conflicting stories of what happened that, like, that led to her disappearance. One story is that she told her mother she was going to the train station and she's going to take it to her friend's house. Where was her friend that she needed a train? I don't know. The train station was three miles away. I think it was like an eight miles total trip. Oh, And the train okay. station was three miles away and then the train took her the five miles to get there. Well, if you're walking three miles, you may as well walk another five. It's not that much more. But anyway. Eight miles? Is, that's, that's a long walk. I suppose. Another story said that she actually going to hitchhike. So she told him, I'm just going to hitchhike to the, to the train station and then take the train. Jesus Christ. 
You have a 16-year-old. Would you, if your 16-year-old said to you, I'm going to go hitchhike to the train station now, what would you say? i like, get your fucking ass back in the basement. <laughs> that, that ain't happening. <laughs> no. I think hitchhiking is illegal now. Oh, is it? Okay. In the 70s, I guess it was a way to travel, I suppose. But Yeah, it was just, I got to get to the train station. My upper middle class mom can't drive me wherever I'm eight <laughs> miles down the road. So, fuck yep. it, I got to hitchhike to the train like a fucking hobo. <laughs> yeah, another story was that she said she was going to her friend's house, but she went hitchhiking to go do something else, right? But anyway, she never did make it to her friend's house. Eventually, her parents got worried, and a missing person's case was filed. No trace of her for six weeks until September 19th, 1972, when a dog showed up in an apartment complex with an arm in its mouth. Fuck's sake. <laughs> so six-week-old dead arm. I bet you that smelled really nice. Oh. I don't know if this dog was owned by somebody and never really stayed it, but it ended up the, the super of the apartment complex got it and called the police. Wow. What's the weirdest thing Baz the Wonder Dog has ever brought to you? Nah, just a toy. I don't think he's ever brought anything strange. No, I don't think Harper has either. That's another thing that's different about the 70s and 80s and today. Like, Would you let your dog just wander the streets randomly today? Well, that's also illegal. Oh, it isn't. Us growing up, and we lived on a you know fairly busy road, and we had a dog, Tim, and he used to go out by himself all the time. Well, Tim was a girl, though. Yeah, it was a girl. Let her go out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> She'd go on and go across the road. There's Kentucky Fried Chicken over there. Yes. And uh, come, come back with a feed of Kentucky Fried Chicken in his mouth. <laughs> and she'd come home knocked up and give birth in the back of a Datsun. Oh, yeah. And you remember... <laughs> I remember like uh, we used to be there and when the dog would be in heat there'd be like the, the <laughs> four or five dogs in the front yard like a bunch of drunken sailors at the whorehouse <laughs> I remember uh, a shitload of dogs being in the front yard all the time <laughs> she, she loaded down with dogs <laughs> she loaded down with dogs oh my god poor Tim different times but I mean you wouldn't let your kid wander around or Baz no dog absolutely not absolutely no. not only dog go, Baz go out and be, become one of them sailor dogs a bunch of half shelties all over Portugal Cove. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a crowd he died for. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so speaking of dogs, police were called and they got the bloodhounds there and the bloodhounds smelled the arm and they went to find the body. So they went to an area known as the Devil's Teeth. Do you know where the Devil's Teeth is? In his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the Jersey Devil's Teeth. That's what it was, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, what is it? Like a... uh, It's just an area, I suppose. It's, it's you know, it's the perfect name to find dead bodies is, is what it is. It's probably just like uh, in that town, it's something that's... Some mountain or something. Yeah. So it was said that when a body was found, and I'm not sure if this was, was after the fact or exaggerated or whatever, once people started coming into what happened to this person, that the... Uh, Body was surrounded by wooden crosses and logs positioned in a coffin pattern. Oh, okay. But other people say there was a pentagram and other occult-like objects around the body. It was face down in severe decomposed state and it was fully clothed. It was actually so decomposed. I mean, it was six six weeks and it could have been a lot of animal activity in that there too. So it was so decomposed that they had to use dental records as a means to identify the body. What do they do if people never went to the dentist? I don't know. They always say they use dental records, but... What if your teeth was perfect? Or really bad. Yeah, exactly. And do dentists have to submit every x-ray they've ever taken to some central place? <laughs> to, to the FBI's... Uh, right? It seems like that's know. always a common thing, but like logistically, how does that work? I don't know. I know someone in the industry, maybe I'll ask. Yes, you should ask that particular person. An autopsy couldn't reveal the cause of death, 
There was no evidence of any bone fractures, bullet wounds, stab wounds, etc. But the coroner, for whatever reason, thought that a death was strangulation. There's no evidence to confirm that, but that's what he believed. Oh. So this led the police to open an investigation onto the death. So what happened to this person? No one knows, but there's a lot of theories. So the first theory is our good old satanic panic theory. Mm-hmm. This is 1970, so this is a little bit before the 1980s where everyone's Satan worship. All the music we listened to was Satan worship and everything else, right? Yes, this is the beginning of it, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. So again, Satanic Panic was something we discussed in our Saskatchewan episode in Season 2. So check that in the archives if you haven't already done so. We talk about a uh, daycare, I believe, that was Satanic. Yes, that was a messed up story. It was for sure. So if uh, you're so inclined, you should. If you haven't listened to it already, please go check it out. But the Satanic Panic wasn't full-blown here, but that kind of stuff was getting into the mainstream culture. We had the film Rosemary's Baby, which I've never seen before. Have you ever seen that? I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I've read the book and watched the movie. The Satanic Bible came out not long around this time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Charles Manson stuff was also fresh in everyone's minds. Uh, you know, there's a lot of that type of thing. Yep. So the De Palmas were closely tied to the religious faith. So some people believed that their death was attributed to a sacrifice or an occult ritual. What was their religion? They were Christians. Okay. I just, I don't know of any Christian denomination or, or even Christian-based cult or whatever that would have a sacrifice. Do you? Well, I think it was because she was so religious, then uh, the Satan people were going to sacrifice her. Oh, oh, okay. I misunderstood. I misunderstood. I thought it was like in their church they decided no, to no, sacrifice. No, no, Oh, sorry. Okay, gotcha. The area in which she was found was uh, used by neo-pagans to practice their naturalistic beliefs. Uh, it was said to be uh, frequented by a coven of witches. The police actually brought in a witch as part of the investigation, so I don't, I don't know what qualifies you to be a witch. <laughs> I mean, do they set up like uh, an ad in the paper looking yeah, for so a witch you... to help solve a witch crime? You figure if a witch showed up to that, they'll be burned them at the stake right at the spot, right? Or be blamed for it in some way, yeah, for sure. So, okay, but anyway, they, they rounded up some witch. They rounded up some witch, and this is when the story started to come up about crosses and everything in, in the media and a bunch of stuff uh, Teenage uh, Satan worshippers murdered a pretty Christian girl, right? That's what the stories are coming, right? Yeah, I could see that, yep. Even the New York Times reported this on October 4th, 1972, that Jeanette was killed by the devil's disciples when tried to spread the word about Jesus Christ. Uh, they obtained this information from an interview from Jeanette's reverend, a man by the name of James Tate. And the reverend is quoting this article saying, She was so religious that she would often talk to friends and acquaintances about God and when the heathens were lectured about the power of Christ, their fanaticism arose and they killed her. So I guess the belief in Jesus isn't so powerful after all, is it? Uh, oh my God. I know, that seems like a stretch of an explanation. Yeah, for sure. But... And this theory has since been debunked, and, and I'll get into why that's been debunked in a little bit. Okay. But that's the first theory. Second one was she was killed by a serial killer. I'm sure you've heard of this serial killer before, but I haven't, but I'm willing to bet. Richard Cunningham? Nope. Okay. AKA the Torso Killer. Uh, he was a serial killer who murdered and raped at least 11 young women in New Jersey and New York in the 70s and 80s. Among his victims were a 16-year-old by the name of Lorraine Kelly and a 17-year-old named Mary Ann Pryor of New Jersey. Their bodies were found in heavily wooded areas uh, like Jeanette. And it could not be determined that Jeanette was raped. Her clothes had stains in the area, but the body was so decomposed there was no way to tell at the time. Another one's a drug overdose. She was brought up, in, like I said before, in a strict Christian household. As such, it was said she didn't like partying at all. But there's other reports that suggest she was heavily into drugs and actually a recovering addict at 16. This theory states that her friends gathered to celebrate her recent birthday. They were all doing various drugs and she overdosed. The friends panicked, didn't know what to do, and just dumped her body in the woods. Okay. Now, but it should be noted that when they do a crime scene investigation, there was no drug paraphernalia found near the body. So 
And I'm assuming that even though the body was decomposed and everything, I'm I'm assuming that they could have tested. I mean, her blood didn't evaporate. Like I'm, they yeah, could have tested I, her I, I guess, blood yeah. or, okay. Another theory is scorned love. I wasn't able to find any documentation on this, but uh, I listened to a couple of podcasts regarding this case. One was called Not Another True Crime Podcast. And they state that Jeanette was dating the son of the Reverend Court New York Times article. And they broke up a week before her disappearance. Yeah, there's got to be more than to a story than just like, oh, they broke up, so he must have murdered her. That's all they said on it. So I, I don't know. It's just another theory. This one here is not so much a theory, but one of the original suspects of the case was a homeless man named Red that lived in the woods near the Devil's Teeth where the murder happened. Very soon after the murder happened, the man fled to his campsite after the body was discovered. So he just he was hanging out there for whatever body was found, and he took off. Ultimately, society had nothing to do with the case, and that's when the case went cold. This guy here, if he lived around here, and this is a place that was known to be frequent by pagan rituals and all that, so he must have seen a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. So I don't know what he's living there for. So this case uh, sat cold for a long time, but in the 1990s, a publication called Weird New Jersey Magazine, which I said must be in your reading rotation, but we already discussed that. They began reporting on the case after receiving anonymous letters regarding De Palma's death. They wrote about many suspicious details, including the police lost or destroyed the case file. The department maintains the records were destroyed in Hurricane Floyd in 1999. So, Weird New Jersey's investigation came up with a lot of interesting cover-ups and inconsistencies with the initial investigation. And the magazine editor teamed up with a writer and they wrote a book called Death on the Devil's Teeth. Another man, a retired New York private investigator named Ed Silzano, he made solving this case a personal mission of his. He created a Facebook group called Justice for Jeanette De Palma, and he unsuccessfully sued to try to obtain the DNA evidence from the stains on Jeanette's clothes. Now, why would they not agree to give them to him? I, I don't know. Or why wouldn't they want to get that investigated? Who did he sue? Local police, county, or whatever. Oh, the police. Okay. I don't know. I'd, I guess I'd have to look at that case because evidence, you can't just give it around to whoever decides that they want to do it. You know, some independent yeah. person. You know what I mean? It would have to be a law enforcement or something. There's not a lot of it to go around. Who yeah. knows? But anyway, he tried to get it and they wouldn't give it to him. But Weird New Jersey ended up getting a copy of what remained of the police file under the Freedom of Information Act. Oh, that's cool. This information that they got showed there was no evidence of an occult-like activity. But a couple things were interesting. Number one, her necklace and purse were missing. Oh, okay. Robbery, right? Yeah, exactly. Crime photos showed that the contents of her purse were dumped about eight feet from her body. And in these contents, there was uh, a pack of tissues, a Vicks inhaler, a small compact, lipstick, a key, a comb, uh, something to put your eyeshadow on, and a vial of an unknown substance. But there's no money or wallet, so it almost looks like a robbery got her eye. Like, uh, if she was hitchhiking, someone picked her up and probably... Yes. Yeah. Hitchhiking can be a very dangerous activity. But what about all the crosses and the coffin and... And all these crime photos that they got in this Freedom of Information, none of it was there. And that's why this, that theory has been debunked because the actual crime photo doesn't show any of that, right? So that became sensationalized, I think, after the fact. Okay. Good Christian girl died. It must have been by somebody Satan-worshipping cults that are around, right? You think that this story came out, good Christian girl dies on the devil's teeth, which I guess is some place or hill or woods or something colloquially known in the area. And then people started to talk about, and guess what? There was crosses all around and there were upside down crosses or whatever. Like maybe it went like that. Okay. That's exactly what it was, right? So certainly from, you know, those crime photos and things missing, it makes it look like a robbery that went too far or like I said, a hitchhiker picked them up rather than killed her sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it has never been officially declared a homicide. And the case is still open. Okay, but didn't the coroner say she died of strangulation? 
that's just his opinion based on, I don't know, there's no facts to support that. So that's why they started investigating it because he says, I, I think this is what happened. But there's no way to prove that. There's no evidence to support it. The case stays open to this day. I don't know why New Jersey is still following it and everything, but it's still an unsolved case. I think it was all sensationalized. Just, I mean, if she had been found on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike, it yep. probably wouldn't be like satanic because she was found at the devil's teeth. That lends itself to the story. And then, I mean, rumors will start up about all kinds of stuff like, oh, well, her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend murder or she was all into drugs or whatever. But if the things that you said are actually true and there's no real way to know because they lost everything, but that, you know, her body was found clothed face down. Her purse was not with her, but was found close by. Everything was dumped out. No money. Her purse was never found, but the contents of it was dumped out, and there's no wallet or anything. So. Okay. Sorry. So the purse was missing, but all the shit was dumped out, but there was no money there. Yeah. Assuming she had money. She would have had to have at least some money. Train fare, at least. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at all those kind of things, it's more logical to assume she was probably picked up a hitchhiker who robbed her. Maybe she struggled. Maybe accidentally she was killed or intentionally was killed, and he dumped her and went on. That makes yeah. a lot more sense than like... You know, the boyfriend killed her because they broke up or I'm sure he would have had to been investigated. Yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't very well documented. Yeah. I believe the story takes place in a place that doesn't have a high crime rate. So it's not like yep. a murder every week or whatever. It's interesting that they wouldn't be able to solve it. Yeah. Well, I, I think the biggest thing with that was where it was found. The body was found so much later and so decomposed. It was really the longer it takes to find a body, the harder it is to determine things. And, and you know, the longer a crime goes unsolved, I guess the harder it is to solve. Right. And then it's probably a product of the time, too. So, like, if this yeah. happened today, it probably would be more likely to be solved than... Yeah. Oh, wait, it's now. I mean, there's a, a, a hair fragment there, and that's it. You're done because of the DNA and all this, right? So. Oh, that's what the CSI tells us, right? The semen stains everywhere. <laughs> that's an interesting story, though. I wonder what it was. Do you think Do you think it could have been a cult? I mean... No, I don't think it was a cult. I mean, it's pretty pretty much been debunked now, but uh, mm. I mean, it was it was a theory that they actually investigated at the time. I think she was murdered by someone who picked her up and, and his murder. I, that's, that's my opinion. I don't think there'd be any natural causes from a 16-year-old. I mean. Right. Yes. So, uh, I mean, she could have felt banged her head or something like that, but then there's no way to determine that based on, on the decomposing body, but. Right. I don't know. The coroner had to have some reason to say it was strangulation, must have something to do with it, so. Yeah, interesting, though, that people would latch on to that occult part. Yeah. It's almost like pareidolia where you see faces, but, like, you're seeing Satanism and stuff. But but like you said, I mean, the place was called the Devil's Teeth, and, and uh, uh, she was a Christian person. I mean, it's pretty easy to, to get to that conclusion, I guess. Right. There you have it. Weird stories from New Jersey. The Jersey Devil story, that's pretty popular story around here. It's good to know that, you know, the baby was born, became a devil, and flew to a chimney and started freaking everybody out. So that's that's, a, that's always a good story. Yeah. I mean, it's like any other piece of folklore story, right? If nothing else, you get good merchandise out of it at some point. For sure. And then the possible occult murder, it sounds to me like it's more likely that it was a very unfortunate unsolved murder or if not murder, then uh, death under mysterious circumstances. But Yeah, exactly. So what do you think about these stories? You can share your ideas with us at somewhereadpodcast at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at somewhereadpod. Or at our website, somewhereadpodcast.com. If you haven't already done so, please follow us or subscribe wherever you're listening so you'll never miss an episode. 
And if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to help us out, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen so others can discover us. And don't be afraid to tell a friend about the Some Weird Podcast. And stories from New Jersey are some weird by... Some weird? Um. I used to think when... (laughs) That was so stupid. Um... When a dog succeeded in uh, getting poor old Tim, like when I was real young, I was wondering why why the dog's foot was stuck. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's our dog reproductive uh, part of the podcast.